The car business is rapidly changing and modern car dealers are meeting the demand. I'm Michael Cirillo, and together we're going to explore what it takes to create a thriving dealership and life in the retail automotive industry. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with subject matter experts that are designed to help you grow. This is The Dealer Playbook. Hey man, thanks for joining me back on the Dealer Playbook. Yeah, um, you know it's fun. It was fun the first time you're on the show. I'm looking forward to uh, today's episode. Um, I had some specific questions actually, and this is funny because I rarely go into the show with a specific set of questions. But I was on your uh, sales line blog, and I saw something that immediately stood out to me. Uh, you did a video um, about how sales teams need to be participating in digital marketing. And you made some really valid points. So my, my question to you is just kind of kicking this off because this is something, right? All these divisions, especially when it comes to car dealerships or any any type of business, each department is kind of siloed. They're in their own buckets. They're in their own offices. They rarely you know, talk to each other. You have your marketing department, your finance, your sales department, your leadership and all these sorts of things. And the, the lines rarely cross. But you, you made the point of, hey, well, look, if if the sales team is a part of your team, then they need to be integrated into your marketing. So yeah. how does that happen? How do you do that? Well, it's not done through utopic uh, conditions. In right. other words, this isn't one of those things where we, we say to the sales team, you know, it would be really nice that if marketing comes up to you this week and they need help with a particular video or a particular article or whatever, that you give them a few minutes of your time. Definitively, that is not effective. I haven't seen it work. Mm-hmm. And the comparison that I make is uh, to CRMs. I've never seen a true sales team, like like a very sales-driven organization, that used a CRM well that wasn't required to do so. In other words, people don't just say, sure, I'd love to do that data entry on the CRM. I mean, I just can't wait. You don't see sales teams do that, right? And so if you don't make it tied to compensation, yeah. they generally do not participate in the CRM. And so it's the same thing with marketing. Now, then the question becomes, well, okay, we make it required. Well, why though? Why do we need to do this? And there's a litany. I mean, there really, really is a litany of reasons. And there's some that I just don't think a lot of people have thought about before, and it surprises me. So because we've done so much um, inter- so much interviewing, be it text and video of subject matter experts for different companies, right. I've seen this come to fruition a bunch of times. And so I think, number one, first and foremost, when you have a very engaged sales team in this process of producing content in conjunction with marketing, you quickly identify the true subject matter experts versus the cloaked subject matter experts. And Mm. there are times when you and I might think somebody knows what they're talking about, but because they've been in the game for a while, we don't sit there and watch their sales presentations anymore. They're pitching. And because we don't, we are not aware of the fact that they they stopped sharpening the sword a long time ago. And so the industry has passed them by. Mm. That happens in the automotive space. Yeah. Because people have been in the game for a while, and they're like, 
I got this on lockdown. And because they're maybe good at talking, they still might be able to close deals, but they're doing the customer a disservice because they really don't understand the product anymore. That is a big problem. And so when we are forced to teach about something in a non-sales situation, it naturally leads to better sales communication the moment that we are faced or confronted with it in a live situation. And I just fundamentally do not believe, if we're really great at sales training, that we allow people to do most of their learning on the fly especially when it comes to questions, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I believe in role plays, and I also believe in marketing and participation. So that's number one. That's number one. It helps us identify true and false subject matter experts. That's number one. Number two is it forces sales team to get with 2016 and beyond. The worst thing we can have right now, in my opinion, in any organization – is a sales team that's still living in 1995 that still thinks that they are the ones that are really the show. You know, in in 1995, when I would go to three dealerships all within one mile of each other and I would look for the best deal, the relevance of the salesperson in in closing the deal was huge. It was just a monster back then, bro, right? Right. Today... It's not even close to that because a huge portion of people do not go to more than one dealership because they've already identified the model, right? And so we can't sit there and brag anymore about closing rates. You can't do it. And because of that, what that means is how do we show that we're more valuable than the other sales team members other than just, okay, I've been here for a while and I have be backs and all this. How do I show I'm valuable to the team? Because if the economy tanks again and sales teams have to be laid off, well, are you going to be one of the ones that still has a job? And the ones that are heavily engaged with marketing, the ones that are producing the educational content that is really making the sale on the forefront, they're the ones that the managers, the CEOs, they're not going to want to let go because they're too invaluable to the team. So... You know, and we're starting to see now where even salespeople are kind of branching off on their own. And, and I mean, good for them and their own personal branding efforts and that sort of a thing. Um, but they are kind I mean, they are an army of one. They're, they're trying to come up with content on their own. They're trying to build their brand on their own. Are we suggesting, I mean, do that, but also get engaged with a store where you have a team of people that can actually help make yeah, this happen. I mean, so it's it, this is an interesting dichotomy that's happening in the industry right now because you have a lot of really f- I don't know I don't know if it's a lot, but you have a subculture of very frustrated sales professionals mm-hmm. that get what's happening. They understand the importance of all things digital. They want to be engaged in that buying process that occurs long before they set foot on the lot. Yeah. And so therefore they want to do things, but you've got managers or leadership teams that once again are living in 1995. That's hard. I've seen a lot of professionals, even in the automotive space that have said, you know what? I'm a stallion and I got to run because if stallions don't run, if they're fenced up, they've got to jump the fence. 
And if you are a sales professional and you know, you can see clearly what's happening and you're not allowed to exercise your creative abilities to create more deals, yeah. well, then you're probably going to quit that organization. And you should, frankly, if they're not giving you the liberty to do those things. And so it's, it's, it's almost like you've got a bunch of digital Davids that can, they, they realize they don't have to play by the same rules that have always been played. They don't have to do it the way it's always been done. They can be creative. They can think outside the box. They can be fast. They can be nimble. Mm -hmm. And they can just go out and create content, right? Be better teachers and earn that trust, which is all of our goal. And then you've got these Goliaths, which may have been around for a while, and they just do not give their, they do not give their sales team any means or programs or tools to be creative. In a perfect world, in a perfect world, you have leadership, managers, etc., are totally bought into this idea that we've all got to be teachers. Mm-hmm. Trust is the name of the game. Let's do whatever it takes to get it. Make it faster, quicker, easier. That's what it's all about. And then we've got sales teams that get that too. And those organizations, they're going to do. They're going to be the ones reinventing the space that's next. I mean, you know, it's interesting to me that. Cadillac is coming out with a new tiered model for their stores. Mm -hmm. And they understand the essence of the digital consumer. And the digital consumer is, um, I just, I want it, I want it now. When I go to a website, I want it, I want it now. When I go to a retail store, I'm more impatient than I used to be. I want it, I want it now. I want to walk in a direct line, I want to get it. And so Cadillac is setting this model up in the future. It's not happening yet where... The, the smallest locations are not going to have any vehicles at all. They are going to have virtual reality, and that's really it. Mm-hmm. So somebody walks into the dealership, and it could be a booth at a mall. Right. They get to drive the new Cadillac and virtually, and the sales process can start and stop right in that moment and, start, and stop as in it can be completed. And what does that mean for all of us? I mean, and so this is all this is all happening. It's going to just change the whole shift. There's going to be a huge shift within the industry in the coming uh, in the coming years. If we are not participating in digital today, especially with video and video-based content, we're not going to be ready for virtual tomorrow. And the employees and the team members that establish themselves as experts in those areas. They will, be un, they will be in high demand, and they will be able to, in fact, increase their asking price, if you will, with dealerships. And that's why we've got to, you know, when I talk to companies, Mike, it's like the goal is we are all media companies, right? Yeah. So, like, I happen to own a media company that also sells fiberglass pools. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and dealerships need to understand they happen to be media companies that's, that sell also, <laughs> yeah. in this case, automobiles. Right. 
Hey, this is Michael Cirillo from the Dealer Playbook Podcast. Don't you find it interesting that the automotive industry has been using the internet to do marketing for like 20 years, yet today everyone's still complaining that it just isn't working the way they hoped it would? Whether the cost is too high, it's time consuming, we're not getting results, the list goes on and on. And to make matters worse, nobody really knows who they can trust as a marketing partner. Flex Dealer is an inbound marketing agency for car dealers. We've invested over a million of our own dollars to identify what works and what isn't working online so that you don't have to. Consumers don't want to be sold or pitched to. They want to be educated and build relationships of trust with you and your people. Not only that, there isn't a one-size-fits-all marketing approach that works for every dealership. Your business is unique, and it's time for car shoppers to know why they should choose you over the competition. So if you'd like your money to go further while simultaneously increasing your sales and influence in your community, my award-winning team would love to partner with you. That's why we're putting together something really special. For a limited time or 20 dealers, whatever comes first, Flex Dealer has a special $6,000 exclusive dealer playbook offer just for you. To learn more, go to www.flexdealer.com forward slash DPB. Now back to the show. Right. It's just what it's just what we are. Employees have to see that. If we all see that, man, I think we're going to do great things. If not, we will be the next Kmart of our space, whether we like it or not. <laughs> well, and it's funny. I, I mean, it's funny you bring this up because we're already starting to see a more virtual purchasing uh, experience. I mean, there, there's and it skipped my brain right now. I should look it up, but um, where they have the uh, automobile vending machines, right? Like they've already got this deal set up, and people are already going, and they're. You know, picking a car and my, my kind of prediction for the future was you're going to see these massive, you know, 20,000 square foot dealerships turn into these 2000 square foot, you know, showrooms. They might have like one of each model with iPads or whatever the next tech is set up and say, hey, here's the vehicle. You can have it in these colors. You know, click here if you want your financing. Boom. And it's all happened while they're staring at the vehicle. So it's it's interesting to hear you say and and talk about Cadillac and that that's what they're doing. And it almost makes me think about this revolution that happened when the internet all of a sudden made its big bang and people went, holy crap, this has changed the way we do things. And we're going to see that again as virtual comes into it. People are going to go, holy crap, where did this come from? And and what's intriguing about that is we still have people. I mean, I know I, there's dealerships in Arkansas right now who still don't have a website, don't have a Google Places page, don't have a, you know, not a single review. Like they haven't even gotten to, they have, so it's going to be a whole lot of catch up or they're just going to, I mean, they're just going to disappear. Like you said, they're going to be the Kmart. It, um, it's fascinating times, and what will happen is once VR gets takes off, which it will, there will be commercials that you hear on the radio where you'll hear dealerships bragging about the fact that here, we don't expect you to make a decision with goggles. We expect you to drive it, to feel it, yeah. to touch the cushion, yeah. to see the road go by right and they're going to say all these things and they're going to act like they're doing it the right way yeah and it's the same thing with insurance providers yeah you know i've i maybe at any more than any other industry i've spoken to it's insurance and i swear at every single one of these events that i attend somebody's complaining about geico and nobody 
nobody cares that these agents don't like Geico. Right. I'm just waiting for them to say, instead of complaining about Geico, what are they doing about it? Because Geico addressed the two fundamental needs that we all have, which is faster and easier. That's, that's, see, that's what defines innovation today. Innovation today isn't necessarily flying cars, which you and I will see in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. And we're all excited about, right? Yep. But innovation more so is how I can e- more easily learn about that flying car and ultimately make the purchase of said car, right? Yeah. Innovation is when you streamline the brine process so well that it doesn't take an hour to do the paperwork once you've shook the hand with the salesperson or an hour and a half. It only takes five minutes because that's how they've made it possible. That's how they've made it happen. That's innovation, my man. And yeah. that innovation to me is more important than um, you know a car that can fly, which that's going to happen. And that's why we've got you know, the Elon Musks of the world. Yeah. But you and I can innovate in very different ways. We don't have to be scientists. We can be obsessed with what the prospect and the customer wants, and that usually takes care of the deal. Well, and I mean, if they haven't streamlined to buy that, I mean, you're going to have people sitting there going, I just freaking bought a flying car, and I've been sitting in this dealership for for (laughs) four hours. Dude, I want to be flying this thing away right now. I want to be flying it away. I want to yeah. be flying it away. Better yet, can we just do the Tesla model and I'll buy this thing online, put my down payment and have it show up at my in my drive port or carport or whatever we're going to call it. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Yep. So, and that's where you see the success of, of Elon Musk is because he's, you know, I mean, ultimately everything that he's come up with or thought of are things that these sci-fi movie writers thought of and came up with years ago but he just figured out a way like you said going along with your innovation he figured out a way to make them accessible and easier yes yes i mean you know the the idea that ford chevy etc have not gone consumer direct yet is to me pretty laughable yeah and because because no matter now, see, a lot of them have, in some ways, dug their own grave because they've got all these dealerships and they've got all these... It's got a big mess on their hands. Sure. The smart manufacturers going forward, they will go direct to consumer. Like, truly direct. Because Ford has always been a B2C company. Every commercial they've ever done on the TV has been B2C. But they've trapped themselves because they're a B2B-based business in terms of who gives them money, right? Sure. Who gives them money. Right. And this is um, this is what's going to happen. And so, so this lends itself back to the point where because people might listen to this, Michael, and say, "Well, this is all depressing to me." And what you're saying <laughs> is, "I'm not going to have a job." What I'm saying is this: if you are viewed as a subject matter expert, and you are working to build your brand, the brand of you, and the brand, of course, of your business, you will never lack a job. It just will not happen. And people will come to you, and you'll get more opportunities than you ever realized. That's what I know to be true. That's the thing I know to be true because I've seen it again and again and again in a multiplicity of industries. Mm-hmm. You you make yourself irreplaceable. That's right. That's exactly right. Whereas right now, I mean, 
you know, the people that would be worried, the people that find this perhaps depressing to think about, oh man, I'm going to be out of a job in 10 years, are the ones that are just showing up because it's a J-O-B. Just showing up. Just showing up and they're sitting there bragging about their 70% closing rates, which means you know what? Yeah. In 2016. Yeah. Nobody cares about your closing rates in 2016, especially. Do you know how many companies have contacted me, bragged to me about their high closing rates, and then told me they're in huge financial trouble? <laughs> doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Your high closing rates don't mean jack. They mean nothing. They mean nothing in 2016. Because if you can't get enough leads... All these closing rates don't matter. It is not a celebration that you close 7 out of 10 deals. That's nothing to brag about today, especially if you're in the automotive space. So you're I mean so basically what we're saying for those of you watching listening, if you're in a position right now where you're trying to figure out okay, what's the next step for me? You're hearing it. Build a brand, be the subject matter expert. And I look, and I'm going to ask your take on this. There, there's so much back and forth in the car industry, probably every industry. But since I'm like heads down in the car business, oh, how come there's all these people calling themselves experts? And what does that mean? And it's almost like the people that say this, for some reason, think the term expert is synonymous with like God. <laughs> you know, like these people are professing that they are gods in their space. What's your take on this? I mean, we're talking about becoming a subject matter expert. It's a sensitive topic in the car business. There's always debate. Are you an expert? What makes an expert? How can you say you're an expert? What's your take on that? Yeah. So a couple things to that point. First of all, my opinion, yeah. your opinion yeah. about really anything doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what consumers want. Case in point, it doesn't matter to the millions of people on Facebook that I don't necessarily love Facebook. They don't care. They don't care. Yeah. And nobody, if you look at all the changes that have happened over the years, the consumer never cared that you or I didn't want that. You know, the most famous case study in the automotive space, of course, is Henry Ford. Mm -hmm. We celebrated Henry Ford because he made it faster and easier. And then we scorned Henry Ford because <laughs> he said, my opinion is this, and therefore, because it's my opinion, we're going to do it this way, yeah. which is why he almost essentially lost. I mean, he, he, he went from being one A, B, C, D, E, F, and G to being two. And, and that's because he allowed his stupid opinions, yeah. pride oftentimes is what it sure. is, yeah. to interfere with smart business. Never allow personal opinions to interfere with smart business practices. It doesn't matter if you like LinkedIn. Do your customers like it? It doesn't matter if you like Facebook. It doesn't matter if you're not good on video. You need to get over yourself and get good on video because... Every time someone looks at you and you are pitching them, essentially you're on video. In case you haven't realized that, you're already on video. And so you got to let go of all these ideas and you got to get over yourself. You got to get over yourself. And I'm saying this to everybody. I had to get over my fears of technology. I was not a technology maven at all mm -hmm. in 2009 as a pool guy. And of course, I had to get over myself. I had to get over the fact that I was afraid to death to upload my first video to YouTube because it was intimidating to me and I just didn't understand the whole deal. 
you know, and so now we're getting 600,000 visitors a month to the website. And, you know, I'm really glad that I didn't allow my stupid personal opinions to interfere with something that dramatically changed my life. And so we've got to be careful about this. Now, with respect to experts, yeah, the marketplace dictates experts. It, you and I can't complain about anything because the marketplace is what's going to call the spade the spade, right? And so it's, it's, it's kind of like when I hear um, this is going to offend everybody. It's going to offend everybody, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. The most controversial episode of Yes, no, yes, yes. So I hear people say Hillary Clinton is dumb, and then I hear people say Donald Trump is dumb, right? Yeah. And they both just like emphatically say they're both dumb. Newsflash, both of them are really smart people. Yeah. Because you don't get to where you are, <laughs> where they are, by being dumb. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? And so it's a spade. The spade now, they might not be honest, they might not be this or that, but they're not dumb. Do you, sure. see, do you see what I'm saying, yeah. Michael? Yeah, yeah. And this is, this is so, so they are experts. I love They this. are experts. Now, you may or may not like it. Sure. But the marketplace listens to them. That's why they want a ticket. Both of them want a ticket for their respective parties. Yeah. Okay? So now we have to get over ourselves. Now, what we're dealing with in the world of sales and marketing is the, you know, when I was 30 years old, I started producing all these videos about fiberglass pools and I started saying, look at it like this, Michael. I was almost like a Ford dealership in the, in the fiberglass space. There's all these manufacturers at the time, about the exact same amount there is in the automotive space, about a dozen majors, okay? Sure. yeah. And I started producing all these rating and reviews, pieces of content, all this stuff talking about the good, the bad, and ugly of these manufacturers, and they freaked out. And they, you know, literally said, who's this snot-nosed 30-year-old kid think he is talking about us when he doesn't know jack about manufacturing a fiberglass pool? Fact of the matter is, there's a five-year run before I got out of swimming pools. I'm, I'm still a part owner, but, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not you know, aggressively educating that space anymore. Sure. Where I was the foremost voice in the world on fiberglass swimming pools. And I couldn't even install a fiberglass swimming pool myself. But the world, I would get emails from people all over the world saying, Marcus, I don't trust my pool builder. Would you please come out and oversee the installation of this swimming pool? Because I trust you. Yeah. And that's the name of the game. I don't say that to brag. I say it because that's what the marketplace dictated. That's what they said. Yeah, it's the reality of it. That was the reality. I was the foremost expert Mm -hmm. perceived. Yeah. Even though I wasn't necessarily a pool installer, because I was good at teaching other people about it and simplifying it in a way that people could understand it, I own the market. And that's what we all can do. That's what we all can do. And that's why, that's why it doesn't help to complain about the fact that somebody called themselves an expert. The marketplace will take care of it if they're an expert or not. Just like, you know, if, if McDonald's goes out and creates a sandwich they say is the best thing ever, the marketplace will dictate quickly whether it was very bad and a flop or whether it was good. That's sure. how it works. I.e. innovation. You yeah. innovated. You made it easy. Made it easy. Didn't, I didn't create something. I'm not Albert Einstein. I'm not Thomas Edison. I did not tangibly invent something, but I did make it easier for them to learn about fiberglass pools. And that's what made me an innovator at the time. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so switching gears a little bit. I mean, 600,000 visitors a month. There's a lot of people that heard that and are now asking themselves, I've never experienced that for my car dealership. Is that possible for a car dealer website to get 600,000 visitors a month? So here's what's interesting about car dealerships, what they did for so long. For so long, they allowed third-party sites to dictate the brand of their manufacturers Mm -hmm. and the consumer view on the industry as a whole. And so let me give you a case in point. It was about five years ago. I was looking at Ford Motors' blog. And I was like, man, this blog sucks. (laughs) Because I couldn't find simple things. For example, let's say I went online and I researched, um, you know, 2000 at the time, 2010 Ford Ranger versus the Toyota, whatever, Sonoma or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember names. You couldn't find anything on Ford about that because Ford didn't bother talking about how their stuff compared to other people's stuff. Sure. Now, this is what, if you go to any major automotive website that's educational, that dominates the marketplace, that's the type of stuff they address. And they do it well. And they do it without bias. And what happened is all these manufacturers and all their dealers allowed these third-party sites to control the industry because they were too afraid to address what we call the ask-you-answer, which mm-hmm. is the questions of the marketplace, right? The questions of the marketplace. Now, is it easy to do this as a regular dealership? Fundamentally, no, it's not easy at all. And the reason is because there's a lot of content. Or in other words, the, the, in, in the automotive space, the CSI, that's what I call it, the content saturation index, is very high. And so the more saturated an industry is, the harder it is for you to stand out above the noise. Okay, So certain industries like social media have a very high CSI. Other industries like you know, um, you know, rocket engine part manufacturers sure. have a low CSI. So how do you deal with it? Well, the beauty behind the automotive space is that there is constant change constant evolution, and constant new stuff to talk about. So even though you might not dominate the conversation on what was, you can dominate the conversation on what is and what will be. And there's where you have the big opportunities, right? And there's where you can just throw your fist on the table and put your stake in the ground and say, we're going to be a thought leader in this space. And and really be aggressive, especially in addressing the major consumer-based questions you get every day, like 2016 Ford Mustang versus 2016 Chevy Camaro, which is the best American sports car. That's a video. That's an article. That's a whatever you want to call it that needs to be produced, I believe, by any dealership that is selling one of those two models. Because if I am someone that's looking for the best American sports car, and that's what I want to go buy. And there's a lot of people like that, especially a lot of men are just like that. Sure. Um, That needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed. I still don't think many um, dealerships are doing it well. I think dealerships at this point, depending on the size of the dealership, every dealership needs to have one one full-time photographer minimum, at least full-time videographer minimum, and at least one full-time content 
producer for the website, okay? So those three that are full-timers that are the absolute minimum, and this is for one branch. This is for one branch. Now, if you're a mom-and-pop automotive shop that's, you know, just you got 20 cars on the lot, it's a different game. understand that. But if you're a regular dealership, you need to be, at that point, at a bare minimum in 2016, Going and so going back to you're a media company that just so happens to sell vehicles. That's correct. That's exactly right. You have to see and and if we are a media company, what's what's next? And so if you're not producing a new piece of content every day as a standard dealership in North America, you're flatlining in my opinion. I mean, you're just not keeping up. You're just not keeping up. Because if because here's the thing, with the fact that we're doing all of our research beforehand and we're going to start to buy cars virtually. We're leaning heavily on this legwork. I mean, the vetting process is more intensive than it's ever been for a vehicle. And it's only, that will only elevate itself. It's not going to go down. There's no, and it's not even going to plateau. It's just going to continue to go up. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is we have the opportunity right now for the vehicles here to forward to really stake our claim in that we are just going to be obsessively educational about everything that is coming out everything yep makes sense it makes it makes so much sense it should be common sense now one other thing about this michael and this is this is one point i've got to bring up because this is where a lot of dealerships are going to screw up i've seen a lot of dealerships that produce a lot of content Mm -hmm. but they miss one thing and therefore they don't gain ultimate trust every vehicle's the video or the article sounds like this, and this is the 2015, you know, um, Chevy Camaro, and oh, we love this car. Let me show you what this car's got, and everything is just this car's friggin' amazing, yeah. right? Yep, it's sales, it's just sales flawed, page. man. Yeah, it's flawed. just flawed. You can sit there and you can tell me about how much horsepower it has and how big the rims are and how much you know leg space it has and all that, but see, that's not going to win. And that's not going to distinguish you because everybody else that's going to be doing content is going to be doing it like that. What distinguishes you is you start off and say, okay, folks, today we are going to be looking at the 2016 Chevy Camaro. And a lot of people have been asking about this vehicle. And the cool thing is, you know, us here at Marcus's Automotive, we give you the good, the bad, and the ugly of all the vehicles. And so today we're going to look at each one of these pros and cons. We're going to analyze them. We're going to show them to you. You're going to get down to the nitty and the gritty. And so that by the end, you'll be able to know if this is the right car for you. And so we still have that vibe, man. We still have that excitement, but it's the excitement combined with, holy crud, this person is going to tell me exactly, is this the right vehicle for me? And they're going to allow me to decide. They're not going to say, yeah, this is the vehicle for you. They're going to say, don't get this if you're looking for this. Sure. But if you're looking for this, then you're probably on the right track. Well, and the the nice thing about that approach is, I I mean, aside from the credibility is, um, you know, I think sometimes we forget, yeah, it's about the main brand that I've obviously franchised into, but I've got this whole lot of pre-owned vehicles and I've got a massive selection that will suit the needs of of whoever. So it's not really going to harm me. And I think that's what a lot of people think is, man, this would harm me if I start talking bad about about my own product. There's a, um, you know, now that I'm back into riding motorcycles, there's a, a YouTube channel that I've subscribed to, Fort9. Um, and I'm going to link to that in the show notes, but he does a phenomenal job because he'll do a review on, you know, the top five 
motorcycle helmets. And every time he does it, he's like, okay, this, 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 then this, this is all good. But there's also three things that you should be aware of, you know, and, and he does kind of point out in a very, like it's, yeah, he's pointing out the things that aren't good about the helmet or things that you should consider, maybe not necessarily negative things, but hey, if your head's this shape or, you know, if you find yourself commuting a lot, this helmet might get a little bit stuffy. There, the airflow isn't quite there like it is on this. But ultimately, at the end of every video, it's like, hey, go check out fortnine.ca where you can, you know, view the selection of all the helmets that I've talked about in this review. And I mean, it's a booming business. You know, it's Absolutely. a booming business. So kind of the same thing. You've got all these vehicles on your lot. You can talk about them, pros, cons, good, bad, ugly, like you said. You you cannot pitch a product effectively in 2016 and beyond without discussing both sides. In fact, the smartest salespeople, literally, they will not do a pitch until they find a reason why somebody would not purchase the vehicle. Like they understand mm-hmm. from a psychological on a psychological level, they've got to say at least one thing as to this vehicle's probably not a good fit for you if. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, and that's what yeah, people are looking yeah, for. Yeah, right? but that's the problem with common sense. It's all too uncommon, right? <laughs> and so we just don't see it very much. And and I would say 5% of the videos online in the automotive space do that or less. Yeah. It's a great day at ABC Motors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's always a great day. It yeah. never rains here. Yeah, it never rains here. Um, look, man, th- this has been awesome. Predictions, strategy, insights. Um, I could go all day. Well, I couldn't actually, but you know what I mean? Not, neither one of us could, but we'd like to. Um, appreciate you being on the show. How can, uh, where's the best place for people to just kind of keep diving inside your brain? Well, if you want, you can read my book, which is Don't Wait, Dominate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's the a easiest, real good review on the back of this thing. There is a, there is. The, I would strongly, I would strongly recommend that book, by the way, to everybody, um, because it is looking ahead, and uh, that's what it's all about. We've got to look ahead. We can't feel sorry for what's happening. We've just got to continue to look forward. If anybody wants to find me, just email me, Marcus at the Sales Lion S A L E S L I O N dot com. Marcus at the Sales Lion dot com. Love, uh, love questions from people and appreciate them uh, you can s- certainly check out my website thesalesline.com and if you're looking for a speaker at your next event i love the automotive space i spoke in three different continents within the automotive space last year and it was a highlight of my year and i just love the space you know one last thing i want to say about this space because i i love it so much it's sad to me that when you say used car salesperson, so many people have a negative connotation with that. Right. What I have found is that 90% of all the salespeople that I've ever met, and I've met hundreds in this space, are really great, good, true people. 10%, maybe not so much, but what failed all of us wasn't the people, it was the process. The process is what gave the industry a bad name. My challenge to everybody is not to continue to do it the way it's always been done because we'll continue to get the same results. Let's do it differently. Let's change the process and let's obsess over that magical word, which is the business we're all in, which is trust. That's the name of the game. And I think if somebody's thinking about that on a personal level, on a collective level within their dealership, I think they're going to be very, very prepared for whatever happens next. Love it. Man, appreciate you being on the show. It's always a pleasure. Love to have you back as well. See ya. We'll have to do that when the flying cars come out. 
well, well, let's do it from a flying car. <laughs> I'm Michael Cirillo, and you've been listening to the Dealer Playbook Podcast. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. Leave a rating or review and share it with a colleague. Thanks for listening.